Good to be here with each and every one of you today. I would like to once again welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. What a privilege it is to be assembled in his name, to be a member of the household of God, to be able to see the things that we see, knowing that this, this understanding is given to us by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. God gives us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the heart to discern the good things from his word. What a wonder that is, right? What a wonder it is. Well, today, uh, as you've been uh, forewarned, we're going to be looking uh, at Acts chapter 20. And we're going to read the whole chapter. You know, I think it's important when we look at a portion of Scripture, I think it's important that we take it from start to finish. There's a reason why it's broken down in the way that it is. And though sometimes it's not readily obvious to us why we have chapters or paragraphs or verses exactly where they are. I think it's important when we study something, at least we have a place where we know we began and a place where we end and where the middle is and where the next to the middle and next to the last and everything is. We have a, a common point of reference. Very important. So let's begin reading in Acts chapter 20. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over these parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Segundus, and Gaius of Derby, and of Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them at Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. No fear of that today. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread, and eaten, and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive, and were not a little comforted. And we went before to ship, and sailed into Assos, there intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go a foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him in and came to Mytilene. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogilium. And the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hasted, if it were possible, for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, 
serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day, I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, after my, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were there were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. It would seem as though the Apostle Paul never had a moment to rest. He was never idle. He preached against idolatry. That's a play on words. But actually, his very life was an example against idleness. Paul was constantly moving. He didn't move at his own back, his own call, his own desire. What he says here, quite plainly, bound in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Not walking according to his own will, according to his own desire, where he wanted to go, what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it, but subject to the Spirit of God. Do you know the scene in Acts chapter 20, verse 1, it opens up after the uproar was ceased. Well, unfortunately, because we break in right there, we don't really know what the uproar was all about. But one thing we do know is that whenever the, the Apostle Paul preached the gospel, there seemed to be 
an uproar. We know that the truth always has an impact on the people that hear it, right? When you hear the truth, you respond in several ways, maybe two different ways, actually. You receive it and are convicted by it and are willing, rather, to change or to, scripturally speaking, as the Bible says, to repent or to justify yourself and to cause a commotion and an uproar. The truth has a profound impact on people. And in this particular situation, no different. Paul was preaching, and the God, he was preaching the gospel, and the gospel had an impact. And there was an uproar. Do you know, we have two examples of when the gospel is preached, how people respond to it. You know, the, when Peter preached uh, in Acts chapter 2, when he first preached that message that they had by wicked hands had crucified and slain the Lord, whom God hath raised up, right? They heard it, they believed it, right? And there was something that had happened to their hearts. What had happened? Do you recall what they said? The Word of God says, the Bible says that they were pricked in their hearts and they said to Peter, men and brethren, what must we do? Right? They were, they were in a position now where they had heard the gospel, they had heard the truth preached by Peter, and they came to this place where they had to make a decision. They, they said, we, we've heard it, our hearts have been pricked by the truth, we know that something has to happen, what do we need to do? They had come to that conclusion that what he had said was the truth, and the truth was directly pointed at them. He had told them that they were responsible, and that the Lord had died, and the Lord was crucified as a result of their sin. And so they asked, men and brethren, what must we do? Well, the interesting thing is right there, that is where Peter says to them, repent. Repent. You know, repentance, just like God gives us vision and sight to see things from his word, repentance is a gift. You know, there's, we read about an Old Testament person who sought repentance and wasn't able to find it. Do you recall his name? What's his name? It was Esau, wasn't it? He had sold his birthright. He had given up the promise of God. He had given up what God had promised to him. He had given those things up, and he wanted it back. He sought repentance, but you know, he couldn't find it. Repentance is a gift from God. Oh, that we might avail ourselves of it more and more. You see, repentance isn't just a one-time affair, is it? It isn't just one time I repent and say, okay, that's it. But it is, in effect, a continuous process because God reveals to us continuously, doesn't He? Our nature, our character, our inclination. We used to have in this meeting a brother, Don Gustafson, who would stand and he would pray and he would say something like this, hell-bent and hell-deserving. And then he would go on to extol the grace of God to save the likes of us. Hell-bent and hell-deserving. That's what God reveals to us. Hell-bent and hell-deserving. But then He also reveals the remedy. He reveals the cure. And He reveals the way. How are we reconciled to God? How are we who are hell-bent and hell-deserving reconciled to Him? Well, to His Son, the Lord Jesus, by simple faith and trust in Him. You know, the men of Ephesus there in that chapter, we had just heard that they were rioting against Paul. They perceived him to be a threat to their religion, didn't they? They were very upset that he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know, the interesting thing is, 
Paul didn't go stand outside their temple and pound on the door. Paul didn't go stand out there and try to kick the door in or try to, to, uh, to talk to people who were walking into the... He never did that, did he? We never hear about that. Where did Paul meet people? And where did he preach the gospel? And where did he share the truth of God's love? Where was it he met them? He met them in the street. He met them in the marketplace. He met them at all various different kinds of places. But you know, he had respect. He had respect for culture. He was a man of propriety. You know, many people tried to accuse Paul of doing many things that were heinous, that were wrong. They tried to accuse him of it. And in many cases, Paul had to actually stop preaching and teaching the gospel and defend himself. He had to defend himself. And in a sense, he was defending the gospel because the gospel and, and Paul had become so interconnected, so entwined, that it was almost impossible to separate the one from the other. And so many people would say that Paul did this or that Paul did that. And because if he did not defend, if you will, himself, it was cause for injury to the gospel. And so it was necessary for him to defend himself in defense of the gospel. But these men who were there, they were very upset and they were defending their religion. But their motivation wasn't necessarily pure, was it? We would read in chapter 19 that this silversmith Demetrius, although the pretense was standing out there stomping his foot saying, oh, they're defiling the temple and oh, they're trying to teach that Diana is no God and so on and so forth. But we know that she is in this and that and the other thing. And he got a big group of people and they were forceful and they were angry and they were mobbing and they were rioting. They were causing an uproar. They were causing a scene. We know that actually Demetrius, his major concern was not necessarily his love for the goddess Diana, but his love for something else, right? His love for money. You know, he made his living making little idols of Artemis, of Diana. That's how he made his money. And you see, when the gospel came in and Paul was teaching that there are many false gods and there are many things that are worshipped as gods, but they are no gods at all. When you look at the God who created the heavens and the earth, and when you look at God who created all the things that are, who is the very origin and essence of life itself, I can introduce you to Him and I can show you who He is and I can tell you there's a way for you to be reconciled to Him and I can tell you that that way is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, simple faith and trust in Him, belief in Him, forgiveness of sins. You know, it's a burden that all sinners carry with them. You know, as much bravado as the world would like to show off and to show that they, I don't need no God, I don't need this, I don't need that. I am a man, I do it my way. There is coming a day when all the bravado in the world will slip away, it will fall away. And they will be standing one step from this world into eternity. And all that bravado I did it my way will mean nothing. Enter into eternity with sins unforgiven. Enter into eternity without being reconciled to God. When the reconciliation, the process was made so simple for you to reach out and take what God has given to you by simple faith and trust in Him. And to reject it, 
and to enter into eternity, will you stand before God and say, I did it my way? One of the underlying and continuous themes in this chapter that we've looked at is this. Paul is continually, continuously on the offense, on, or on the move. He is continuously defending the gospel. He is continuous preaching. He is persevering. He is enduring. He is engaging. He is running the race. He is set on a particular goal to finish the course. You know, our brother opened up our meeting today singing that song, I'm in the Lord's Army. I wonder if we really understand that there are, in effect, two armies operating today. There is the army of Satan. And I want to tell you, his army is a well-oiled machine. It is well-funded, well-staffed. It is organized. It is focused. It is determined. And it has as its objective the souls of men. There is another army. We heard about it today. The Lord's army. How well organized is it? How well funded is it? How much are we engaged in it? Say there's two opposing armies. There are. And you know you're either in the one or you're in the other. And you know much like a race, a war is a competition. A war is in effect a, a, a battle. And, we, and the Apostle Paul would tell us continuously about the battle. And he would say, you know, this battle that you're fighting, you know, it's not carnal warfare. It's not picking up a club and beating your brother who doesn't quite understand the word of God with it about his head and shoulders. That's not the weapons that we use. The weapons of our warfare are what? Spiritual. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, or 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, right? But unfortunately, many of us don't necessarily understand that there is a battle going on, that there is a race to run, that there is a course to finish. And we sometimes, I believe, just go happily on our way thinking that there is no battle to fight. But every once in a while, somebody will knock on your door and kind of let you know that there is some opposition to what you think and what you believe. You know, it is very important for you and I as Christians, as believers, especially you and I who would share the Word of God with others, it's very important for us to know what we believe. Right? Very important for us to know what we believe. And it's also very important for us to believe what we know. You know, I've shared many times with people, hey, you know, the Lord cares for you. I know. The Lord loves you. I know. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I know. The Lord will keep your mind in perfect peace whose mind is still. I know. I know. I'm glad that they know. But what I really want to know from them, not just what they know, what do you believe? And what is the depth of your conviction? What is the depth of your belief? And how do you demonstrate your conviction and your commitment and your belief? How? 
The fact that there is a battle raging, the fact that there are two opposing armies should motivate each and every one of us to become engaged somehow or another. Do you know that the U.S. Army has a way of organizing itself into different staff elements? And I want to be careful as I say this because I'm not trying to say that we organize ourselves in the same way. But I just want to show you that armies are organized. And they have to be organized because without organization, there is confusion. Without order, there is confusion. There was a German general one day who said, there is no way we will ever be able to defeat the Americans in battle. And people asked him why. Well, you see, war is confusion. And the Americans, they practice confusion every day. That should not be the same for the church. That should not be the same for the church. We should not be engaged in confusion. We should be engaged in orderliness. We should understand what the order of God's church is, that we should know how to conduct ourselves, to behave ourselves in the house of God, that we should know how to conduct ourselves when we are outside of the house of God, remembering that we are ambassadors, right? The ambassadors of Jesus Christ, not only the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, but the ambassadors of the gospel, right? The gospel is something that you are made you who are believers in the Lord Jesus, you're made stewards over, aren't you? God has given you the gospel. You have believed it. Now, let me ask you. You believe the gospel, and you believe that apart from faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, in effect, you are facing an eternity of death, of hell, of torment in the lake of fire. You do understand that is what the Word of God says. If you know it and you believe it, are you ready to share it? Are you ready to share it with somebody? When you look at them, do you see them and say, that is a lost and dying man heading into an eternity of hellfire and separation from God where there will be no more opportunity for repentance, where there will be no more opportunity to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus. There will be none. It will be too late. You know, yesterday we had the opportunity to walk around the neighborhood and put some flyers on doors. And I was thinking to myself, my goodness, it's so hot. My goodness, it's raining. My goodness, my feet are getting wet. My goodness, I felt the mosquito on my arm. My goodness, I'm afraid if there's a dog behind that door. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Fear, continuous fear and apprehension over knocking on a door and putting a flyer on it. Oh, God, help me to be courageous. Today, we need courage. We need courage. I'm reading a book that was given to me by a member of this meeting. I won't share his name, Malcolm. And <laughs> he gave me this book, and the title of it is The Making of a Missionary. And I'm reading this book, and I'm overwhelmed with what I'm reading. And I look at this man, in contrast to myself, this man who walks 22 miles in one day so that he can progress on a five-day journey that he might share the Word of God with some group of people he only heard were in existence, didn't even know if it were true, but said, if they are, I'm going to travel 20-some miles a day with in peril of lions, teensy flies, bugs and insects, crocodiles, and he's going to go. And I'm wondering about getting my feet wet in a mud puddle across the house. And I shy away from it and I say, Oh God, why isn't my heart like that man's heart? Oh, that each and every one of us would come to that place where we would exercise courage. 
You know, you and I, we're in a battle, whether we want to believe it or not. We have a race to run, and that's what the Apostle Paul here is sharing with us. He is saying we have a race to run. Now, I just want to, I want to give a couple of, I know we're running a little bit uh, behind in time. I just ask you to be patient with me a little bit. Paul demonstrates something continuously through this chapter of Acts. He demonstrates perseverance. He demonstrates perseverance. And it should be the goal of each and every one of us, like Paul, to want to cross the finish line, to want to complete the course that was given to him. Each and every one of us should have that goal. We should want that goal in our lives. It should be foremost in our minds. You might ask, how does a Christian achieve the goal of crossing the finish line? We can achieve the goal if we, like Paul, have commitment. Are you committed? If we, like Paul, have courage, do you have courage? If we, like Paul, have conviction and truly believe what it is we know the Bible says. Commitment, courage, and conviction. You know, Paul was committed to the Lord. He heard in that vision what the Lord was asking him to do. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who are you that I persecute you? Who, who are you? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. You know, here was Paul going about persecuting the church of Christ. And God deigned to use him and to show him that heavenly vision. And in his witness before Felix, he says, and Agrippa, he says, I was not what? Disobedient to that vision, to that calling. When God placed the call on my life, I was not disobedient to it. As a matter of fact, everything that has to do with this life, I count it as garbage compared to what the Lord has promised me. You see, we have commitment and we have courage, and we have conviction. We will run the race like Paul ran the race. We will cross the finish line. And when we cross the finish line, we'll hear those words we all long to hear from the Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I wonder, are we all in the race? And so the question must be asked of yourself, are you in the race? Do you realize that there's even a race to run? Are you in the race? Are you willing to run the race? Are you committed to the race? You might be saying, Tim, I'm 65 years old. I'm 78. How am I going to get in the race? Well, I want to tell you how you get in the race. You get in the race by kneeling. You get in the race by bending the knee, bowing the head before God, and pray for those who are running. You know, I was talking about the army being separated into different staff organizations. It's the same with business. It's the same with the army. This organization. You know, they have one that's called S1, Staff 1. And you know what? In the army, Staff 1, it's administrative. You know what they do in the administrative staff? They do administration stuff. No, they do clerical stuff. They write letters. They write letters. Is there anybody here that can't write a letter? Oh, but Tim, I don't speak good English. Then write to somebody in Spanish. Oh, but I don't speak good English. Write to somebody in Urdu. I don't write to somebody in Russian. Encourage somebody. Pick up a pen and a piece of paper and do it. S1. S2, you know, is what the intel. That was my department. Intel. Intelligence. Military intelligence. Some people called it Mexican infantry. But actually, it was military intelligence. MI. I want to tell you, military intelligence, their sole 
their sole business, their sole occupation was collecting information. They get it from everywhere. Right into a town, town looked dingy, town looked bad, town didn't have a lot of men, town had a lot of women. All of this stuff, it may seem like meaningless, useless information. They collect it, they collect it, and collect it. What do they do with it? They hold on to it. They never share it with anybody. No! All of the information that they take in, all of the information that they learn, they share, they send it up. You know, the, the administrative staff gets some of it. You know what? And then another part of the staff gets some of it. The commanders get it. Now they know how to organize their, their forces. Now they know, well, in this particular area, we saw that there was a whole lot of children. Oh, that'd be a great place for a VBS. We saw in this particular place that there were, uh, you know, a lot of high schoolers. That'd be a great place for whatever. And, you know, so this is the idea of gathering information, that S2, the intelligence, information, how important it is. You're out there in the world. You're working at your jobs. You see what's going on. You know what's happening. Are you reporting it to the Lord? Are you sending it up the chain of command? Are you making him aware of what's going on? How is it affecting you? How are you impacting your environment? Oh, and could you impact it just a little bit more if? And so we report all of this information. We send it up the chain. You know, in many ways, that's what happens to us when we're sitting here on Wednesday evening and somebody reads that missionary letter. We're in Zimbabwe, and this is happening, and that is happening, and the other thing is happening, and we've got this school at Sakiji, and we're, we need teachers, and we've got this going on, and we need somebody who has some medical skills, and we have this and that and the other thing. It's a report. It's an intel report, and we're reading it. We're saying, hmm, I wonder if we can apply some of our resources to that to meet that particular need. That's what it's all about. But, you know, it just doesn't stop at S1 and S2. There's actually another staff element. It's called S3. It's called planning and operations, right? Planning. They actually plan something, and they actually plan something, and then they conduct an operation. You know, we may be doing things like that and really don't even know it, but the fact of it is planning and operations, right? That's an S3 function, right? And then we have another function called S4, and that's logistics, so I just, I'm, making the, I'm making you aware of these things, not to put you to sleep, although that may be happening to you. I'm making you aware of these things because I want you to know that within the church, these same things are needed. The same Lord's army here is needy, needful of those things that you could apply yourself to write the letter, to collect some information, to plan an operation. And as for, you know, it's logistics, it's supplies, it's things that are needed. You know, some of us are gifted in some areas. We actually have money. We don't know why we have money. You know, God has just blessed us. We've got money. We're not any smarter than anyone else, but here I got this pile of money. What am I going to do with it? Apply it to the work. Give it to the work. Find someone who's faithful to do it and apply it to the work. Resources. Resources. Do you know each and every one of these things that we have, particularly the gospel, God has given it to us. We're stewards of it. And let me ask you something. Will we one day have to give an account? I ask. You have to answer. The word of God says you will give an account. You would recall the story about the one town, five town, ten town, all those things, right? Well, I was afraid. doesn't cut it. I knew you could reap where you didn't sow. Doesn't cut it. Reap anyway, sow anyways. Commitment, courage, conviction. There's another department, it's called S5. It's called civil affairs. Being involved in the community. Being involved in the community. That's where you're going out to your workplace and you are essentially ambassadors of the gospel. And there in your workplace, sharing sharing with them. I just want to conclude with this thought is that you know the Lord has 
graciously given us access to himself. You know, and I think it's the simplicity of the gospel sometimes that really, really trips people up. And sometimes what happens, because it's simple, we think it's easy. But it's not easy. And it requires effort. And it requires labor. But you know, there is no greater rewarder than God Almighty. And He doesn't forget. He knows every labor. He knows every trial. He knows every adversity. He knows everything you have done for Him. And He is no debtor to any man. He will repay. You know, Paul says, I'm ready to be offered. There's a crown of righteousness laid up for me right now. Right? And he looked forward to that. He said to depart and be with the Lord is much better. I'm in a twist. I'm in a straight between two. To depart and be with the Lord, much better. When we cross the finish line, and I trust and pray each and every one of you sitting here has that as your goal, crossing the finish line, finishing the course as God has given it to you. You know, each race is a little bit different. Your race, my race, all of it a little bit different. But you know, it's all a race. The things, the adversity you face is one thing, what I face is another, but it's coming from the same enemy, I want to let you know. But God can take that opposition and that adversity and He can take it and He can use it. Though the opponent may do it for evil, or for bad. God means it for good. Somebody brings something into you that doesn't quite set right with you, causes you to think, causes you to learn. You remain true and faithful to God. He will reveal to you what you don't know. He provides your life. Doesn't He? If any man lacks what? Wisdom. Let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. And you know what? He doesn't get mad at you when you ask Him to teach you. Can you imagine a teacher... 11 o'clock at night. Lord, I don't understand. Oh, let me show you. Tim. 11 o'clock at night, and he doesn't care. 4 o'clock in the morning. I can't sleep, Lord. I want to know about this. He doesn't care. 4 o'clock in the morning. It's okay. You can pick up the phone and call him. He doesn't care. It's not an intrusion into his day. As a matter of fact, it's almost as if he was waiting there to meet you. What a wonder it is. What a wonder our God is. I've kept you long enough. I leave you with those three things. Commitment, courage, conviction is what we need in order to cross the finish line, to finish the course, as our example here, Paul, today. Unfortunately, we weren't able to look at every verse, but I hope you received a general theme of what was going on there and understand what we might need also to finish our course. So, O God, our Father, we come to you in the name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for thy love and thy goodness towards us. We thank thee, O God, for thy patience and long-suffering. Help us, O God, our Father, to be more committed to thee, more devoted, and more ready to be of service to thee in every area of our life. Help us, O God, our Father, to see you more and more clearly. Help us to love you more each day, more and more about Jesus. We would ask this, O God, our Father, in the name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus, asking you to dismiss us with thy blessing. It's in his name.